Welcome to the Backwards Infect at Twitter and Gmail under that same name. I have just one question for you. How soon is now? Good morning, brother. Switching it up a little bit. First ever Sunday morning coffee talk. See what the morning brings. No, normally we're at the end of the day, seven, eight o'clock after a work day. So I'm going to check the Sunday morning vibe and see what comes of it. Yesterday I had a couple tweets. One of which I never understood the whole good deeds thing first. And I always, I think I kind of rationalized it like your ego brain did, which obviously that was my ego brain as well. But when you think about it, like I always, in that verse, I was like, how could that be? Like someone could literally do like good stuff their whole life and they would still be like damned to hell, which is kind of how the verse goes. And you kind of knew what that meant back then. It's like, yeah, I, under- I kind of understand what they're talking about. But like, take for example, like someone that like dedicates their whole life to feeding the hungry or they have a nonprofit business that you know, their whole life is dedicated to doing something good every day. They're bringing food to hungry people who need it. So in that sense, they're, you know, a rock star in this life. And I never understood. I'm like, if you take the best of the best, right? You take the best of the best good deed person, that person that has like a nonprofit organization and is like all in and, you know, just as opposed to me going to my job or you going to your job, their job is running their nonprofit organization. That's what they do. That's what they dedicated their life to doing. I never understood what it meant as far as, uh, and I, and I think, if you if you look at how we talk about backwards ideas and what we talk on the podcast as far as the contrast versus pre-awakening and awakening, there's pretty much one common denominator, and we see a lot of it, is that fear vibration works in tandem with a, a lot of things that in the past that fear vibration for me worked almost in tandem with the ego. So what I now understand it as is it's not out of, you know, once you're awakened, you're out of that fear vibration. So you're looking at things as though, you know, someone doing something consciously or unconsciously. And just as though, you know, someone in a a church may be raising their hands and be the loudest praiser in the whole building. I mean, they're the most boisterous. They're standing in the middle. They're, they're seen by everyone as the one with the most faith. 
the good deeds thing for me is crazy because it's just making the point. It's making the point by saying you can have a nonprofit organization and feed the hungry for 30 years doing it unconsciously and getting some ego gratification from it, but it never being enough to wake you up. It's just making the point of asleep or awake. It's making the point that I can go out, me as an unawakened person, or I can go out and feel the, feed the hungry. Let's say we can take 10 asleep people that we just think are unconscious and don't see the truth. Take them all to feed the hungry. It's all going to be an emotionally gratifying experience. <clears throat> and there's going to be a big miss there because it's going to be like some kind of ego emotional satisfaction. And the point I think that it was making was out of the, because you look at it as like, man, how could you punish people like that? It's not, it's us. It's like not punishment. It was just making the point, like you can do something awake or asleep and it doesn't matter how many good things you do asleep. That's not going to make you awake. So it was making the point that we live in our unconscious state all the time. No matter if you're feeding the hungry or, you know, giving a hitchhiker a ride to his next stop. Like, it doesn't matter. It's not enough. Yeah, you're kind of drawing one of the contrasts that I've been understanding more and more as I go. And that is just the mechanical nature of morality itself. Because it used to be that I would think that morality was something to be rationed, rationalized through, or something to be something I could investigate with my mind. And I could always come up with like the right or wrong course of action. And it's, now, in this uh, new state, it becomes very clear that morality is only, like you said, about the presence, it's about the consciousness, and you're either moving towards that or you're moving away from it. That's why I get so like nitpicky with like the pizza conversation with the kids over. It's like there's a decision in front of me, and I already like I'm walking towards hell, like consciously and then that's exactly what you do you eat the pizza and then you pay for it and you just walk through that whole process like you marched yourself right into the hell that you knew you would create and that's just a stupid dietary one but there's all kinds of those all the time where yeah it's not some moral heaven landscape that we need to be worried about and it's not some you know, eternal damnation that we need to be worried about in terms of this life, what we end up doing is we just walk right into these hells we create. I don't know what the big picture meaning is. Like if we get so good at that in terms of damning ourselves in the here and now, does that play into like an eternal damnation later? I mean, that could be, but morality itself is not something you have to think about. It actually springs up from 
the actual consciousness itself. And then for me, like if you've ever done a good deed consciously, it's it's a totally different experience. Like if I would have went, say, pre-awakened, just say taking me in my most stupefied age, like say 18, say 18, I'd say I go and feed the hungry at 18 years old. I don't even know how to experience that. Like I'm going to go feed the hungry and I'm going to feel so damn good about myself. It's going to like at 18 years old, it's going to puff me up. Like I went and Luke Sarter went and fed the hungry today. Like it's going, it's like, a. I guess same kind of an emotional high that you would get like, you know, in a church and, you know, the, everyone on the same page, or maybe that's a bad example, but, uh, an emotional high, something that's going to make me feel better. Maybe, you know, obviously pre-awakened, I, you know, you're always doing stuff to like hush down the anxiety. You're always doing stuff to like make you feel better or, try to prove to yourself that you're a good person. Like you said, in your mind, you're always trying to answer the questions for yourself. And, you know, why am I a good person? Well, I just fed the hungry today for eight hours. That's why I'm a good person. <sighs> Deep breath. Feel good. You know what I mean? Like you're, that's that constant proving. Of, and I, I just see that as, wow, that's such a, a major point to make because you know, some of the most dangerously asleep people are the ones that have justified it with good deeds. Like they've really justified their game. It's more than like Cain who just has this ego construct that one day it has the capability of coming down because all in all, you know, if you can get, I'm saying people have life structures built around that life structures, life structures. I mean, me and you have jobs really that, you know, if I quit tomorrow, I don't have any attachment to, I don't have any like good deed tied around it. I have good relationships, but the life structures that people have around to help encourage unconsciousness, just think about it. dude. If you're, if you're unconscious, but you've, you, you've, you've fed the hungry for 30 you're in a state of pretty comfort like you you've got some pretty good dopamine structure around you <laughs> you know you know how to turn that shit on so i saw it as like it, it is kind of like a huge warning but not a damnation or a punishment or a god that sits on a throne that says you know if you do something with a smile on your face that's not going to get you to heaven you know that's kind of the thing that you look at as as from a religion but then you know when you do stuff consciously like everything turns into this crazy working with the universe like say now i just gave you the example of 18 but say now i go to feed the hungry say you know that's something that i want to go do on a saturday and i go do it that's going to be a totally different experience I mean, the whole thing is going to be like one big, probably synchronized, opportunistic, 
looking at the surroundings, constantly aware. You know, I, I think it's like a freaking spiritual playground. As opposed to the act of like, hey, I'm putting food in someone's belly. I feel so good. Yeah, Buddha talks about this concept a lot. He goes in pretty good depth um, with it. I mean, it's pretty intense. But it's uh, making a stand against desire. And that concept is so much bigger than I ever thought it was. And a huge part of it is exactly what you're talking about. There are people who just desire being good people. Like that is their desire. And they're just, they don't realize they're just feeding that desire. Like they haven't stepped back from that. And that's one of his concepts. It doesn't matter what the desire is. And you also have to understand like being born, you're going to confront desire. So if you're, if you're in, if, if you are a good person and you're doing the good deeds and you have like a nice system set up, you're probably telling yourself that you've already conquered desire. You're telling yourself that this is something that I don't have to deal with, that I don't have to, that I've already mastered. And then it's, what it's done is it's slipped in the back door on you and now it's, it's conditioning you and controlling a lot of the decisions you make. And it's certainly pushing you in the past because you would sit there, you know, on a weekend and you would think about how good you did during the week and it'll, it'll put you in the future and it'll have you thinking about the anticipation of the stuff that you have coming up, but you won't be present. Yeah. The danger of it is, I mean, I just see to the epitome of that the religious minister is man, there's so much stuff that slipped in the back door there that, uh, it's, it's quite remarkable that you can be living it out with all the, the words that are coming out of the mouth. But yeah, it's, it's a big, it's a big danger in a, in a big warning there that I can see really clearly and again it just boils down to being asleep or awake and it doesn't matter what you do yeah and you don't have to i mean it doesn't have to be like this big thing you set up in into your life when you talk about charity i know there's a huge contrast for me in terms of charity um just because like i have a bunch of corporate conditioning and like my day-to-day activity is very busy. There's always just a ton of work ahead of me to get done. And so there's multiple times during the day, like I didn't even really realize until after I woke up to the ego. But I know before, like if there was any version of like somebody saying, can you help me? Like that would always be like, I'm too busy. Can you, can you help? No, I'm too busy. No, you have no idea how much work I have to get done. No, I'm under corporate constraints. No, I can't. Like that was my automatic like response. 
and people are pretty good. Like they actually understand, like once you take that stand with them, they're like, oh yeah, they almost remember like, yeah, we can't really mess with you guys. You guys are under too much pressure. But then after waking up to the ego, like that question, can you help me? And it comes in, you know, many different forms. It's just awareness. You have to be ready for it. And then just don't have that response. Just receive that question. Not as if like I can help in every circumstance because sometimes I can't, but just to receive that question like wholeheartedly. And then many times I can help because it is something pretty quick. And point being like with charity, like you don't, I never really understood before like how often we get the chance to be present and just respond to somebody else or something else saying can you help me it happens all the time it's constant but when you're asleep like you don't even really you're hypnotized to it and you don't even really understand that you've just turned your back to these opportunities of charity and they're small. It's not like, you know, big stuff. Sometimes it's just maybe I it, even if I'm saying no, if you're saying no with like a much more charitable demeanor, that ends up making that moment of now more meaningful to not just yourself, but to the person you're dealing with. So I, one of the contrasts for me with that is, I mean, they're all the time. Like, all the time you have chances to be charitable with other people. Which kind of leads to something else. I tweeted out awareness behind the thought as you, I think what after you, it, I think what you described, I just get this mental image of like your awareness. It, you, you have some kind of, or at least I had some kind of faint awareness when I was asleep. Um, I did have some kind of awareness that, you heard something that resonated and, you know, I could, I could see my awareness, but as you meditate and as you awaken, it's like your awareness, it, it's like extends. Like if someone walks up to you in the grocery store and asks you to grab something off the very top shelf because you can reach it, your mind doesn't react. Your awareness is, like instead of being like this, it's this vast thing where everything is opportunistic. Even the lady that just asked you to grab something off the top shelf, there's zero reaction there because the awareness is like, it's so large. I don't know what the, it's like it's extended, like, like it's, uh, there is no reaction time with a new awareness there there's no there's no built-in mechanism that says i have to react with the mind like now or i have like it's just an awareness that's there and it hits you well this lady needs me in this moment to and that's not even a thought process you just see the lady she asks the question and you walk up and do it and sometimes like there's nothing that goes through my head I just smile and get it for her and hand it. And, and I, like you said, I can almost notice that people notice that even if you did that, 
which you would say that's a that's a good deed on a small level but people do good deeds while they're reacting people notice that you grab the item off the top shelf and perform the good deed presently people notice that they're like oh my god he grabbed that off the and people even say things to avoid your reaction like i'm sorry i don't mean to bother you oh right please i you know they'll say something to try to off in that reaction because they know how people are they know that reaction's coming but when you do something presently something something magical happens just with something that small like it's an opportunity right there for grabbing something off the top shelf yeah it's funny you say that because i can specifically like that is like i get that a lot in the grocery store just because i'm so tall um but i have in the past you know, like you said, go through the good deed. And I must have had like something on my face because I handed the lady something. This is a while ago. And like, she just went into this big apology. And then I had to stop myself. This is even while I was sleeping because I mean, I wasn't trying to cause any distress in her, but obviously like I couldn't hide the fact that there was a reaction going on inside me. And then she notices and then it creates like this apology situation. And it's actually just like you said, it's I'm probably thinking more so than you are because I have all this contrast stuff going on. So like as soon as the question comes, I'm like, oh, there it is. You know, it's like, there it is. This is the moment. You know, it's almost immediately the ego will pick it up the other way. So I just have to accept you know that what it's saying yes this is the moment but then like understand like oh my god the ego even wants to grab onto the moment here but it there's a big huge contrast there but what you said is exactly true there's sometimes where you're going through the deed but your mind is actually complaining about it and people will understand it's the little things for sure i started off talking about the best of the best as far as the person that does good deeds all the way down to the smallest of grabbing something off the top shelf, pretty full circle. I don't know why this came up, but I just had the mental image of the guy that come into a restaurant when I was there. And these are just random things that happen that I don't know if they happen to you, but they could actually happen in a situation of like grabbing the item off the top shelf. Like you could see that anger, but I was sitting in a restaurant that is a higher end restaurant. So they do a lot of business at night, but I was there at lunch. So like you're talking about very few people, very few people. And I'm sitting at um, the bar, which is closest to the kitchen and I order my lunch and this guy comes in and he comes up. So this, this restaurant is like ginormous, right? It's like huge. It's, it's one of the, as far as square footage, it's like one of the biggest, most open restaurants I do. Like it's just one big ass, big ass room, like the seating, it's all open. It's got kind of like 
sections, but they're they're four foot tall, so you could see the whole restaurant. Like it's huge. And I'm sitting at the end of the bar, which is you know, right by the kitchen. So if the chef comes out, he talks to me, you know, do my business, I'm eating lunch or whatever. And this guy comes in and he comes right up to the left of me, like three feet. I can tell he's agitated. And he asked the server, very sweet girl. She's maybe been there for two weeks, but you can tell she's got a really good heart. She's real sincere. I mean, I can see it in her eyes. She's just, she's eager to learn. And let me tell you, you notice that in today's staffing world, like someone that's sincere and wants to learn, even down to a server, like you see their heart and like, oh, someone's out here with a heart. <laughs> They're like eager to learn. Like you notice that shit now. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. So I noticed that she's a very sweet girl. She wants to learn. You know, this restaurant needs help just like every other restaurant on the planet. This guy comes in. She's there. She's probably three feet from me because she's just took my order. He comes in and confronts her and it says, is the phone number on the website the correct phone number? And he said, the reason I'm asking is because I've been trying to call and no one's picking up the phone or he said he was getting a busy signal or something. He said he couldn't get through. He said, how long is it going to take to cook a hamburger? And she said, um, well, I can get you a manager, but 15, 20 minutes. And the whole time he's saying this, he's agitated. Like it's been boiling. Like he's been in his car, like calling this place and he can't get through. And it's just like raising his anger, raising and raising. And he comes and he's standing right next to me. So I pull back. He looks at my eye and I look back. So um, I obviously know he's in a state of, you know, distress. And he kept pushing the, the envelope and wanted to talk to like a supervisor. So she said, hang on one second. She walks back. She's gone for maybe 20 seconds. And he's just standing right next to me. So it's my energy and his energy. And we're just locked. Like I know it. He knows it. I don't, well, I don't, I don't know what he knows. All I know is I'm sitting there and I know what his energy is. So I know there's some kind of energy mess going on. And he's maybe there for 20 seconds and he goes, ah, shit. And he just turns away and walks out. And literally the supervisor came out like 10 seconds later. Like it was the amount of time that someone could have waited to talk to. It was the most brief anger session I'd ever seen because he, he didn't have the patience for like 10 more seconds. And he just stormed out like a child, like a child would storm out of the room. I just, those moments that pop up, I see them in my day. And there's such like these anomaly situations where someone just comes and puts herself right within a five foot radius of yourself with this very strange energy and, and ends up not even lasting over 60 seconds and out the door he goes. Uh, those are, um, those are fun times for me. Yeah, I can definitely relate to that where, yeah, those end up being very meaningful where the old me 
would have been like uh, provoking in that situation. I probably would have said something smart ass. I would have probably escalated it like almost automatically, like without without even like just a display of my wit and personality in a time like that, you know. Um, and I, I can see a lot of those develop in my day and the new version of me um, sounds very similar to what you're doing where I just get quiet <laughs> and just let the let the silence speak for itself and um it's it's interesting i don't know which way is actually more agitating for people <laughs> yeah because uh, obviously there's some provoking thing like it's right along the lines of you know don't especially if people you don't know um, there's some kind of unique energy thing going on and, you know, holding up a mirror. Yeah. That pops up as far as how, yeah, it's pretty crazy to go back. On. Like if you, if you provoke that guy and you do it good and you can get him to chuckle just a little bit, he might come back and provoke you. And then like, you get a little back and forth, but you might almost be like shaking hands you know what I mean? You almost like can build a relationship there, but you're building it on like the double provocation. You're playing with fire because it can definitely tip over and somebody can get butt hurt and, you know, it spills into crazy anger. That happens too. But there is, there is that like double provocation of anger. Like you're angry. Well, I'm angry too. Well, I'm angrier than you are. Well, I'm even more. And then by the end of it, you guys are almost laughing about it because you're doing it in comical, witty ways, you know, or, you know, I would have said something like, um, you know, the, when the waitress left, I would have said something like, uh, you know, if you get a little more stern with her, I bet you can make her cry. Say something <laughs> like that, you know, just <laughs> and then have him come back. You know, just saying like you witness this, it, but it's the, what that's what I mean. It's interesting because when you're just quiet like that, like they just cannot tolerate it. No. It's, it's almost like they're so used to like the reactionary nature of things. And I think what that guy's doing is like, that's like, they relate to people on that level all the time. They relate to people on that, like anger level all the time. It's just when they're out in the world, there's a lot of people that can relate to it. So that's like a personality, like mingling that they develop with people. But just from somebody that knows, like I used to mingle in that circle all the time. I used to jump in those all the time. And now I, I do it quite a bit less every once in a while you can kind of say something (laughs) (laughs) well every once in a while you can say something like really true like i can't really think of an example sometimes there's like a hard truth that you can just state so i i a lot of it is protecting my job because i don't know what's going to happen but i do feel some sort of pull to have an interaction there but uh you know i'm i'm 
I'm at work at that point and it's more about, well, let's just use the silent force just for protection of the, for the job. But there's times where I feel there was another incident that, that came up last week. It was around the same time. This dude coming to, now this guy was worse than this guy. This guy come into a convenience store. I had two in one week. He tried to, and this is one I would have stepped in if I wasn't um, on the clock as well. I mean, there's there's a lot of a lot of things we do right now. You know, we have jobs to pr- provide for our family, so there's a level of protection of that. But this situation was one that I really, you know feel the pool is step in although i was like four or five people back i caught the tail end of it but if i was like right behind the guy uh it would have been different but i i caught the tail end of what was going on but i knew he was super angry he comes in and it was a, a trucker guy or no i think he had his own diesel truck that he was trying to get gas with and he was trying to buy beer with a gas card which i it's something there's a legality with that you can't um it's against the law basically there's certain things like you, you can't do with uh it could it might even been a company gas card or whatever it may have been um it was very apparent that the clerk behind the desk knew the law and knew that wh- however he was trying to purchase alcohol that he couldn't do it and the guy lost it, dude. He was like, y'all, he was just like, y'all are assholes in here. Y'all just, and he's like walking back to the fridge and putting a six pack up and then bringing another six pack back and setting it on. He's completely asleep. Like he actually walks by me as I'm going up to stand in line, but I'm like the fourth person back And the cashier. He, he stayed calm. I mean, that's probably one of the situations why no one stepped in because the cashier was a dude back there. And he was like, you know, he said, after he said, y'all are a bunch of assholes. The guy just calmly said, sir, it's against the law. I mean, he was just, it was, it was factual. It's like, dude, I'm not losing my job for you to purchase a six pack in a legal way with however you're trying to do it. And he stormed out of there. And I just, you know, witnessed it and stayed, stayed calm obviously but to witness a person get so upset and angry over a situation like that was bizarre that one i can understand that's uh that's inflation kicked in and he's not going to have any beer for the night that's that's like defcon 3 that needs to be handled <laughs> yes <laughs> It was early in the morning, too, so. You know, those are. There's something to be said about those situations. Are are, are they times to step in or not? Can you break that? In? Is it the best opportunity to step in or is it the worst opportunity to step in? I definitely like I, if the cashier didn't handle it as well as he did in those situations, you definitely feel the pull to kind of step in to really simmer that situation down but is it an opportunity for like 
you know, a grand awakening right there? Or is it not? You know what I mean? Yeah. If you say that one truth to the guy that walked up to the bar in the restaurant, you know, is that is that it for him? You know? Yeah, it's interesting because I think as time goes on, I'm less and less... Um, enthusiastic about like that magical spoken awakening <laughs> i'm i'm less and less enthusiastic i'm i'm getting way more to the point where like damn i do not understand like for one how this happened to me and for two like how it could happen for anybody else i it's um especially like in a heated circumstance like that i'm like man that's playing with fire i mean I'm sure like in a in a lifetime like I'm I bet Eckhart Tolle has like half a dozen stories he could tell about that. So I mean I'm sure it's possible, but I mean even for him, I mean I bet it's not very I bet it's super super rare. Super rare. Like you would you would have to be engaging with somebody that has knowingly or knowingly like put some effort into seeking so it's kind of like a dice roll and if they haven't and it's just been straight conditioning man i don't know how how you pop them out of it it's interesting well i mean i i I feel like there's only two options there you either get angrier or you pop out of it. And if you get angrier, then, you know, that's a recipe for disaster because the person that stays calm is like, it's all over for them. I mean, I've, I've, the the first guy that taught me so much about spirituality he tells many stories where he put like freaking spells on people they'd come back and knock on his door and say please take this off of me because he, they were angry and he didn't get angry and and when you do that it, it, there's, there's just two options i think that's why not engaging engaging is is pretty you know you really got to feel that pull in that moment if you're going to engage because if they choose to get angrier at you they essentially become your bitch (laughs) because it's going to play in their head and they're not going to be able to turn it off. That's where that hypnotic force comes in because, uh, you know, he talked about it too. Like people would come back and he, he messed with people in that way. Like messed with people knew that if he said something, if they got angrier and I say, you know, something to the effect, like, um, just a line that would make them go over in their head. Like I'm going to prove you wrong. If someone does that angrily in their head, like I say something to them and then they say in their head immediately while they're angry, no, I'm not, I'm going to prove you wrong. That just set them a perpetual cycle that they're not going to be able to get out of until they stop being angry, no matter if they're yelling angry or internally angry, I'm saying they're now in a hypnotic trance until 
one, they either come back to this person and apologize and set the record straight, or they continue down that perpetual cycle. It's like throwing them out in space in a twirl. Literally. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that made sense. It's um Yeah, we were talking about that early on too, like kind of understanding like how in charge of the hypnotic force you are in those times. And it it is it like you were saying discernment and trying to understand like do you do you feel the pull to get in or or don't you because you're so powerful as the one present and that that for me like especially when it gets like um because i actually had one of those where it was like stupid anger um we don't have to get into it i mean a real similar situation like what you're talking about but there's that understanding of power i'm very very reluctant with like i see it so clearly that power and i feel like i just know better than to like touch that power like there's something there's some warning sign going off in me like be very very careful with that power because I can I can definitely see where you know you have like that almost like we used to always talk about like how do you develop a cult leader and stuff I mean it's somebody who like really understands that power and then moves forward with that power like and I don't mean like I'm afraid in terms of like what I would do or um I would use it. I'm just saying like, I just see like that path and my awareness is so heightened that I'm just like the old version of myself would have had a field day right there. And for now I'm just very content with that quiet awareness of what's going on. And even times where like, maybe there is, a pool to like get more involved. Like I almost am retreating from that. There might be like another step of um, like personal trust that I could achieve where I could start stepping forward into those situations. But right now there's just too much contrast that I'm aware of. Keep talking. And it makes, it makes me a little reluctant. But you've been doing it for longer than me. I think that's really all it boils down to. Sorry, my computer wasn't plugged in. It was about to go dead. That's all good. What came up to me was I, the reluctance for me has been there as well because of who initially taught me spirituality. Sin, 
the only thing I can say to that, that day when you called me and you were so angry, it was very, it was very like inviting. Um, and again, we've talked about it. I don't know if it's unique to the fact that they're brothers, but or we're brothers, but most of the time that you see someone on the streets or there's just zero connection. So you just see an angry person. And if you step in there, their initial thing is going to be to write you off. So with me and you, it was, it was completely different, but that's exactly what has to happen. Like you, there was no way that you could get angry or angrier at me in that moment. Um, so that was a beautiful moment. I mean, we both know that, but I'm saying like in opportunities, you know, it has to turn into a point where, and I think that comes with notoriety and what we're doing. And I, I can see those opportunities coming in the future, but there has to do in just this podcast in general, like, I think people are getting to know us without us even talking to them or knowing our hearts. So, I mean, it's going to open up the door where people are actually coming to us and saying, why am I so angry with a level of trust, you know, on a level, but on the street, you're right. Like though you're, you are playing with fire. You do have so much power because in those moments you can completely obliterate someone because it's rare that they're going to trust you and everything's going to fall down and, and they're going to go on their merry way, which is what, you know, our heart would want, but that's just not probably how it would go. So you're just going to send this person into a perpetual, probably more angrier than they were before, which you can argue, is that good or bad? Does that, does it give them more suffering to, maybe find the door quicker, but all in all, it is a lot of power and it has to be a situation where I think the person who is angry has to be asking that question. Like if that dude come to the restaurant and he's, he, he's angry and he doesn't really know why. And then I turn and look at him and he looks at my eye and he looks at me and he says, why am I, why am I so angry? Well, there you go. I'm in. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, there's a moment where I look back and I look in his eye and he looks at me where he could say that. And I'd be like, well, he just opened the door for me. Well, let's, you know, have a conversation or whatever. But if that, I think if you see the angry roll and the resistance of the anger and that wall is not going to be broken, if you try to break that wall when it's uninvited, he's just going to get more angrier. Yeah, that's actually, I don't know why I didn't relate it to my experience, but that's so true where when I was opening up to you, it was just an admission of my own anger. And I think the way I was doing it, I was clearly letting you know, like you're off the hook. Like I'm not going to elevate it with you, but I'm struggling here. Like how, how is this happening? And that type of opening up about your anger is completely different versus the other guy, which his mode is probably like, dude, I'm just getting started. 
it's only nine o'clock in the morning. You should see me at three o'clock in the afternoon. That's where I start throwing stuff. You know what I mean? Like he's just ramping up at that time. So his question, like he's just trying to get more angry. Mm-hmm. Versus what was happening with me is I was, I was actually asking the question, like this has lasted way longer than it normally does. It got out of control I don't want to get more angry. I don't want to get more angry. And everything that I do seems to make me more angry. And then noticing that. And that's when I was on the phone with you. Like, I've tried to handle this in multiple ways. And everything I do is just making me more angry. But I was admitting that. And I was opening up about it. And I knew that you were a good person to talk to. I mean, I'd already talked to my wife about it. And it's almost, yeah. I mean, just as honest as that question was like, why am I so angry? And then to hear an honest answer when you have an honest question, it seems like that's magical. Yeah. At that point, for sure. I mean, and that comes to the relationship and the trust and, I can't say this enough either. The podcast, I, I have to believe that people are getting to know us as though, you know, we're talking, obviously we can't hear anyone back, but you know, we're putting out who we are. So there, there has to be more opportunities in the future where you hear that question a hundred times where, why am I so angry? It's very difficult to do with the guy in the convenience store because, again, he doesn't know me from Adam. I mean, he can sense that there's probably this energy there that he kind of doesn't recognize. And I think people do that. But for him to then just turn around and say, oh, I trust this energy 100%. Hey, Luke, why am I so angry? It doesn't happen. But I think this program is a conduit for building that trust. And, and maybe in the future you know, people see it as a, a, a place to come to ask those kind of questions that make, make things magical. Cause you, there is something magical when someone genuinely says to another person, why am I so angry? I mean, that just opens like Pandora's box of like, like the universe is like, whoosh, it just starts cultivating. Like it's, yeah. it, it is magical. And, and that's a big question that means a lot to you and me. But the other questions that may arise, like, why do I do this? Or why do I do that? Those are the types of that's what I, I've told you since the very beginning, when you get questions, like it just opens like these floodgates of and uh, just makes anyone who's awake like come alive on, on a level that I don't understand. Like I don't try. I don't think again. I mean, I'm. I really want to downplay myself in this situation because I think everyone has the ability to to connect to that, just like me. And we're just telling people and helping people find that. Uh, as do you and anyone else that we listen to, or. I think the biggest difference um, between us is is in in other people is is and you're helping me to do this too. Just just pushing the envelope as well. I mean, it's one thing to be awake and 
you know, it, you you can go sit on a park bench for two years and that's perfectly fine. Like there's no, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but the level of which we, we try to delve into uh, turning over every stone and, and staying true to what we're staying true to and the commitment there is pretty, pretty crazy. But yeah, that there's nothing like a question coming from like one of the seven that it's, it's, there's nothing like that. Yeah. And while you were talking, there's like a little bit of a segue. Cause I had some Twitter engagement, uh, this week too. That was interesting, but the prodigal son, uh, had an interesting thread going where he asked if you could, if you just had one question, what would it be? And he had a little bit of a thread there going and he was answering these questions and uh, he was doing a great job like he always does. But I thought about it and I really didn't have like a question like that, but I had something during the week that really hit home really sank in it was it was interesting and that's me going over this osho material and um it's him going over the the buddha the buddha said and he kind of went into like creation and adam and eve so my question on the prodigal son thread was what was or is the universe's first question? And somebody nailed it. So I just left it out there. I left the question out there and somebody nailed it. Um, the question is, who am I? And I, my phone's up there. I can't give credit, but whoever that Twitter person was, you're awesome. Um, with just the economy of words. I mean, that's perfect. You don't need another word. Who am I? But Buddha was talking about, and man, the more I understand Buddha and the more I understand like the Hindu culture, like we always kind of complain about Christianity. Like there is such deep richness to their spiritual pursuit. I mean, they're ahead of us by like a thousand years. I mean, when you really start to dig in, it it is astounding. Like how far ahead they are in terms of their contemplation of spirituality. But one of the things Buddha is talking about is his consciousness goes back to the beginning. And I mean the beginning. And he's talking about it. And he says that the universe in its first state was in a dreamless sleep. Dreamless sleep. And then, so conventionally, scientifically, we have the Big Bang. But then Osho has a much better phrase for the Big Bang. Osho calls it the cosmic orgasm. And that I think is perfect. And it's, it's such a like as above, so below moment. It's like, oh my gosh, I'm going through the same process of 
coming to the question of who am I, that is the first question ever uttered in consciousness. Yeah, that's sick. When you said that, it just like, I didn't see that thread, but that hit me hard because that, that would, yeah, I've said it on the program more than one time. Like my question, when I was a kid, I used to go stand in front of the mirror and I would say, who am I? I used to say uh, to myself, I know I'm Luke Sorter saying, I know I'm the label Luke Sorter. Like I know like who people have told me I am, but who am I? Literally, like I went beyond my name as a kid. Like, dude, yeah, name is a name, but who am I? I went there. But you got the seed of for me to now, like just looking at you now, I'm 43, we're on a podcast broadcasting to the whole world. And I'm talking about who am I? And you just had a scenario experience where it came full circle for me, where you're talking about the universe and what the first question was that hit me like really, really hard, dude. Like that is crazy because that is a perfect. I mean, what else could it be? That is nailing it. Who am I? What else could it be? And, and I think even if you look, that's where we bring size back into it because like the big bang we see as like a, like with our eyes and our perception, we're like, Oh my God, it's so vast. Like, but everything in from the beginning, you're talking about, it was nothing like no space. So it was pretty damn small too. You see what I'm saying? Like, yeah, yeah, too. But everything, like our DNA, is like probably one of the smallest things on Earth. I just saw it uh, yesterday. I don't remember what show it was, but your DNA, if you unraveled it, could go to the moon like 50 million times and back. Just one person's DNA. So everything in us, like everything is designed very small, but from the very beginning, very small. But now we look at it from perception now and like, oh, it's so fast. It's so big. No, it really started from very small, very small. Um, the size thing goes in so many directions and it comes back to me all the time. That's what I was telling you, like when on the podcast, it's hard to go into size and talk about size and start here and end here as though I'm. I, I this is my subject today. I'm talking about size. You you can't do that with that because it it hits me like it hits me in these conversations now. Like three podcasts later, I might go into size again because it can't even <laughs> it can't be it can't be related in an A to B. Like it just has to hit yeah. me during a conversation. I go, oh, that's what I was trying to say during that. It's one of those things. Like you can talk about anger and kind of go from A to B, and we can we can. Right. deconstruct that and help people size it's one of those things that just pop in when you're talking about who am i in the start of the where it just keeps coming back but wow that is such full circle who am i from that is crazy i swear yeah it was it was really it's one of my coolest moments i've had on twitter so far 
um, just because I left a question there, and um, I'm so grateful whoever threw that answer in there. And um, I mean, it's definitely along the lines of what I was thinking, but I, it was, I just love how their economy of words, like they just nailed it with the three little words there. But it is, I mean, like that consciousness, that beginning consciousness. I mean, the level of like as above, so below, like it it might be on the level of almost like exactly, exactly the same. I mean, if you, especially we've talked about like the cells and the cosmos and stuff that's inside of us. And. I mean, it it's that consciousness and our consciousness is the same exact thing. It goes through the same exact experience. It's it really is kind of just um, mind boggling to think about where. But that was the Buddha's whole message. So he goes all the way back to the beginning and what I thought was so fascinating is it was, it was like eons upon eons of dreamless sleep, eons upon eons of unconsciousness. And he can just sit back to the quietness of dreamless sleep, unconsciousness. Like he could find that consciousness and be there with it. The dreamless sleep unconsciousness and then when you play it forward inevitably at some point there is an awakening within the consciousness and the awakening's first question is who am i <laughs> that's it who am i yeah Damn, I mean, beautiful moment it, 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 it gives you a whole new meaning to sexual transmutation. Yeah, <laughs> it does because eons and eons and eons, enough to blow your head off. Yeah, <laughs> no, that's exact. That's exactly right. It's the it's the seed has nothing to do but like come from the tree right mm -hmm. there's nothing else for it to do other than come from the tree but then the seed that falls like what who is it it's the tree correct yeah so i mean it does blow your mind with the uh, sexual transmutation in terms of taking your stand there and then why why buddha would be so relentless in the pursuit of desire and understanding desire and that goes full circle to what we were talking about earlier like he wouldn't let anybody claim good deeds he just said no that's the, that's just you haven't you haven't understood your desire you haven't making a stand against your own desire how does lust play into that? Like what, what are you playing with? 
what are you playing with with how are you affecting your spiritual you know we talk about set, lust is one of the seven deadly anger whatever i'm saying looking at this from the birth of the universe what what are you doing are you are you are you playing with fire are you making fun of it are you exploiting are you exploiting like can you put your finger on it like what what are you doing you're choosing to stay in animal form so it's the same thing with gluttony so gluttony and lust i mean lust is definitely those are the two normally it's like one or the other um and they're mechanical processes of the body like you can't you they're going to manifest at some point because it's like saying like you're never going to use your hand to pick something up like at some point you're going to realize that this thing is useful for something and you're going to use it but as soon as you do the same thing with gluttony the same thing as lust as soon as you do use it now you have started the conditioning of desire like before you can if you can remember like back before you were sexually active like as a child like you have you have that clarity of not desire like that desire hasn't dug into your actual dna because it's not just like feel good it's your literal procreation like you'll hear people say like i'm not afraid of dying but i'm afraid of my kids dying like it goes all the way into like the fear of death like i need the seed to go on like the desire goes way deep into the, into the DNA like that. So the point of making a stand, like what are you doing? Are you playing with fire? If you're standing against desire by choice, you're denying the animal form and then you're ascending to something more divine. Same thing you can see with gluttony. Like every single meal that you eat you could be asking the question, is this fuel for my ascension to the divine or is this desire for something in my mouth? So that question has to start at some point. Like what's happening here? Like am I just fueling my gluttonous desire or am I fueling my ascension to the divine? But what for me, what happens with lust is if you take your stand there, you start to realize how much more you're letting desire in. Right. And that that stand on the sexual um, transmutation, that stand just it. There's a lot of like river analogy, like be in the river, be flowing in the river flow in the river and the river will eventually take you to the ocean the ocean is the enlightenment mm -hmm. have this like river um and sometimes we say like you can sit on the side of the river and you can just watch the thoughts go flow by right. you can put yourself in that position i feel like sexual transmutation is more like throwing a big boulder in the river and now you can you have a dry spot to stand and the river's flowing all around you, but you're untouched by it. 
Yeah, it sets the tone. And now right. it sets the tone. And now you can see like where all the pitfalls are. And eventually Ooh, you're going to have yeah. to get into the river and flow down. You got to get in the river and flow with it. Cause that's the only way you're going to get to the ocean. But I feel like that's where it like, gives you a place to stand and it gives you a good point of view of everything. So the manifestations of lust, as far as what we see today is just merely like the rabbit hole of us in our wanting to be animalistic in a sleep state and seeing where that, that manifestation <laughs> takes us to some crazy places, but it's just, it's just manifesting one of the seven basically. So yeah, because it's a vicious cycle because the the actual lust, like the act of <clears throat> the act of lust, and I can only talk from the male perspective. Um so I'm not sure what it's like for females, but I know for the male, like once that conditioning is there and you're in a you're in a sleep state, so you're in hypnotic force with everything else in your life. So, you know, anger, um, it doesn't matter it's also going to be hypnotic when you're in your lustful self. And if you pay attention to what happens in your lustful self, you reach a point of like anticipation. And that's a sexual anticipation. And then that sexual anticipation like grows and grows and grows. And like, that's the whole process of the lust is this anticipation that grows and grows and grows. And when you see it presently, when you get in that anticipation, you're never in that moment. You're like super hungry for the next moment. But it starts to like time starts to collapse in on itself because the next moment is like just a second away. Mm -hmm. And then mm -hmm. the next moment is just a second away. But it starts to get slower and slower and slower until just bam, like a perfect no will, no effort moment of now in the sleep state you get it you get the perfect now your whole body is reacting it's effortless it's without will you can't stop it from happening after a certain point but that's this beautiful moment of now that's the whole sexual conditioning like everybody just wants that second of presence yeah right yeah I see it. And that's the only way they get it. And by the way, like that moment of presence represents all of procreation. Of course it does. No, that's a beautiful way of putting it. <clears throat> but when you step out of that, or at least when you're there and you see you see the mechanism of that within your own awareness. And then you can realize that that's just, that's the animal state to get to that moment of presence. Like that's how, that's how the universe taught the animal world to reach that level of presence. But we, as these beings of potential of more divine potential we can have awareness of that entire process and then once you have awareness of that entire process you take your stand 
before you get into any of that anticipation. And then all that energy doesn't have anywhere to go. Like the, the, the entire energy of the animal DNA, animal DNA process doesn't have anywhere to go. And now, I mean, it's funny because I actually heard Osho talk about this this week too. It just builds up. It just builds up. And he says, you just let it build up until it has nowhere to go but up. So your sexual energy goes down as a representation. You always think of it down and out. But once there's nowhere for it to go down and out, eventually it just starts piling up, piling all the way up to your crown. And now you've reversed the flow. You've taken your stand and you've consciously made a decision to not go to that moment of presence and to let it start reversing up the back of your spine. Yeah, I've never heard sexual transmutation explained that well before. That's pretty good. I mean, it makes 100% sense. It it makes 100% sense just because I, I don't even know if it was designed that way, but in discovering who am I, it's a way to understand who you are. Um, just going back to the very beginning of the universe. Like I, I don't think some grand design, but it is something that we can do to figure out who we are. It's kind of crazy how, Denying yourself like that can put you nearly at the beginning of the universe. So crazy to think about. Yeah, I mean, I've definitely been searching in this area and I've heard lots of good explanations, but I think it was Osho who finally helped me understand everything and uh, one of because we were talking before, like the DNA spiral, and there's this, the DNA spiral would represent the male and female, like twirling up the back of your spine. And there's that. But he said something that I thought was really cool um, this week. He's talking about the sexual energy and how it tra- travels up. And he said, there's no mechanism for it. He's like, there's no mechanism for it in your form. It has to find a spiritual channel. And that just kind of blew me away. I was like, oh, dang. So he's saying like you create the spiritual channel for it to come up. Mm. And that's what now, now your whole, your energy is like reaching its, once it happens, I mean, you can kind of think of it mechanically. Your your energy is reaching out of the top of your head back towards the universe constantly. 
because you reach like this point of no return and it now you're just like this signal. So we always think about like getting the signal back, but it's like you also reach to it and now you can be. in tune with like a more divine connection to the universe that's above the connection that was given to us in the animal form. And it's not about like repressing sexuality and stuff. Like if you're young or if you're like, it's not, this isn't like any kind of moral judgment about what sexuality is. Sexuality would be, I mean, it is the gift that gives you the understanding of what else is available. So have at it. If you're young, you know, have a grand old time. At some point, it's just the Eckhart Tolle trap. At some point, just do it presently. See for yourself. See for yourself what's going on. At some point, have the awareness during that moment. Perfect segue for one of the other tweets I did a couple of days ago. <clears throat> this is the last one. People who fall in love always claim it to be falling in love. The only problem is love is ascension. And crazy, like the falling in love thing. It's so, um, so interesting to me because I do feel like everybody gets it wrong because almost every situation where you hear someone like giddy or whatever, like, Oh, I love that would be from your perspective falling in lust. Correct. Almost every, situation, oh, every, every situation is falling in lust, not love. Yeah, that's. <clears throat> yeah. Because every relationship, once it gets intimate, is operating on a transactional level. So you're unable to entangle yourself. If, if you're unconscious and you're just responding to the transactions, like that's not falling in love, that's falling in lust. Yeah, I just think that's, uh, I mean, we've done a podcast on love before, but it's... So interesting to find out what love really is when you've been involved in situations where, you know, lust was apparent and it's so totally different, but I, the way you've explained how things work though, it's a very, very confusing situation because you're sharing like that ultimate moment of presence with someone that feels like it should be love. And it may be like really, really close because you get, in fact, it really is really, really close because you do settle for the moment of now that connects two people that gives you that momentary now, like you said. I mean, I don't know if I've heard anyone explain it better than that moment of now. So you're chasing that moment of love through falling in lust, which is, yeah, which is weird in itself. So you, you, you talked about the perpetual cycle because it then becomes a perpetual cycle. And then when that, 
need is not met to get to the now like you've seen all the people that fall what they say fall hard in love you know they're usually not together within six months or a year or two years it just always the ones that fall hard always end usually really badly or or they move on because they keep chasing that power of now moment that maybe has faltered so they're like oh this isn't love anymore i need an, a more ultimate power of now so they go to another person and of course that power of now is going to be more intense because after six months the idea is that you ascend together and most people are like no i want to settle for the ultimate power of now so if you do go to the next person it does present a more ultimate power of now. Yeah, absolutely. And then, yeah, you just put yourself on this condition cycle. And um, like Osho tells a story. It's a great story about a 90 year old man who goes to a brothel and he knows the madam and he goes in and he talks to the madam and he says, you know, I, I want to spend some time at the brothel. And the madam just looks at him and says, you just did. And the 90, 90 year old man says, oh, thank you. And walks out. Like he's so stuck in the conditioning. It doesn't even at that point, like, look at what we're doing to ourselves. Like you stay in that conditioning for so long. And in the end, it doesn't even matter anymore. Like the, the mental conditioning of that moment of now is enough, like just to remember it. And that's another thing that he says is very powerful in terms of like end of life and death. He's like, you are, you are never as sexual as you are at the moment of death. That's from Mosho. And that kind of hit me hard. And it's just saying like, at some point, and I mean, you know, everybody's life is different, but what he's saying is like, you, you're meant to take a stand against the animal nature at some point. And he's just making the point that people are so asleep that they never even knew that they were supposed to take a stand. Like, it's not like I'm saying you have to commit yourself to celibacy for the rest of your life. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying you have to have looked at it. You have to have looked at it and, and understood the conditioning there. And that's the only way that you're going to be able to understand the ascension. Because what he's saying is that that's, that's the moment of temptation, is the moment of death. Like, do you return as an animal or do you get the ascension to the divine? Osho, when he talks about it, he's calling people out big time. Yeah, and uh, I mean, it resonated with me after seeing the close-up picture of the hand. Is that the lowest form that you could degenerate yourself to? Now you're a little demon ant walking around. 
Yeah, right? Yeah. They all look like demons. I can't believe it. That is an actual close-up picture of an ant, too, which is... Yeah, I saw that when it came out. It's definitely... Well, I wanted you I, to look up other ants too, because there's other ants that mm-hmm. look like demons as well. And I've I heard, did, I did what you said. I've heard people talk about the privilege it is to be human, like you're on the level of just even like when we talk about astral projection, that story that um, Gene Hart talks about finding the woman that's about to jump out of the window, and. Yeah. He's it was the first time he cried in the astral because this woman like basically conquered her demons right in front of him and she didn't jump. But the the symbolization is like she was on her ascension and she was about to jump down consciousness levels. Like yes. she was about to do it. Like she was about to put herself in a lower frequency. Be- because of something simple as the cigarette struggle. We've talked about that. The cigarette struggle. She was on an ascension, something that yeah. simple. We're talking about sexual transmutation. She was just in the cigarette thought process and she didn't know how to conquer. But something that that, that was really relatable to me because that was a brutal process. I mean, you could yeah. struggle with that. And then I, I thought it was a beautiful story that Gene Hart told in that uh moment and how it signified but then i've heard other people like the the guest that gene hart had on that interviewed him and some girl talked about how the you know the privilege of being a human and and uh how you ascend and you know what consciousness level you could possibly you know descend to and then i saw and i'm like okay well I guess you could just fall all the way down there with Satan himself and become a demon. But y'all work really well together. Y'all can lift shit and like take shit around. Mm-hmm. Like you guys are really good. Like you work better than anybody. You can carry a crumb fifty times the size of your body and weight and carry it across the room. <laughs> yeah, it's fun because the ant. What it does for me is it it really lends to my compassion because I see like why it would be relatable to demons. But then what it does is it helps me remind myself like, Oh, like you might be able to relate to demons with compassion. And that is just, it's a different way for me to think about things. If you understand like, I think in the past, like I applied so much evil or evil tendency or evil um, intent to what I considered like angels and demons. And now when I look at it, I'm like, oh, that's just the dissension from like lack of awareness that gets already down on that level. The same way Gene with Hart was talking about how the cats are different sizes and stuff like in the astral, those ants could be different sizes i mean they could look completely demonic like these huge cooperating like demonic things that are like building these towers of evil and you could be standing there you know witnessing this basically ant mount but from like that point of view as being small with them and seeing the whole thing as 
completely demonic. Or you could look at it with compassion and there's like a path to understand like, oh, those are just ants. Like they're nothing compared to me. Not that I'm greater than them. I'm just here with more awareness than they are. Just showing them, seeing them as a lower frequency of consciousness. Yeah, and that why they're able to cooperate so well is because they have like a chemical system of reactions. Like they don't get to think. They just follow a chemical trail. Like they don't get to go off path. Mm-hmm. All they can do is like move to where they're told. They're completely robotic. And then if you do ever see an ant get off path, what does it do? It just, it just like, it doesn't know what to do. It's like it goes in circles until it dies. It goes They've actually circles. done that. Yeah. If they, if you take the queen away, they, Correct. you can see this. They just walk around in circles until they die. Wow. That's, you know, when you break it down spiritually, it's pretty crazy when you talk about the queen. I mean, they make stuff designed to kill the queen. So yeah, I mean, yeah. I put stuff on ambuds in my yard kills the queen and all of a sudden three or four days later all the answer did yeah it's remarkable yeah, but because it, it's like on a cult level just like how it would play out here they just gotta yes. be a queen or a king in the cult level and you take that cult you take that queen away what happens to the members like they just start walking around and they don't know what to do because they've been the awareness is very similar yeah it's it's very similar but that's what that ant picture does to me it reminds me because i mean we are pushing so so far forward you know trying to understand you know what these next dimensions are going to mean and i'll give you an example like my family still loves watching scary movies and we just watched insidious um which is, it's a good scary movie, like in the same vein of The Conjuring. But Insidious has like a very present, I mean, informed demon that's in the movie. So, I mean, they show it multiple times. I mean, it has claws, it has hooves, it has a red face, and it has a tongue that's split like a snake. And it has like red beady eyes. And this kid is like an astral traveler and gets caught by this demon, right? And so the kid is locked up in this demon's dungeon, but it's actually like a nice place where the demon always plays records and there's like music going on. But of course, it's this scary demon. Everything the demon does just causes a reaction of fear in the kid. And that's how the demon keeps his power over the kid. He's actually feeding off the kid's reaction. Like you can see it clearly in the whole movie. But I'm just thinking to myself the whole way I'm watching the movie. I'm like, what if you just sat there and looked at compassion at this demon? What if you just looked at him and said to yourself, like, how did you descend to this level? Like, what happened to you? Like, where did your awareness go? What if you just sat there with those questions, like, open-heartedly? Like, I don't think they would have any power over you at all. No. It's 
it's very weird watching like some of those scary movies now. Like, yeah, I see the demon form and like I get this overwhelming sense of compassion. That's why and it just gets me fired up. That's why we're going to hell in the astral. We haven't got, well, yeah. we might have already been there. I mean, I have a golden sword, but <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> exactly. Uh, that's why we're supposed to go there and, and fight. It's, it's everything is relatable to what we manifest. And if you look at it as far as compassion and what we've manifested, there's nothing here that wasn't created from the who am I. Yeah. That exactly wasn't created by someone manifesting themselves. So if, if you're dealing with some dude who hated someone in his basement for 50 years, you know, he, he manifested some crazy thing. He has to get energy from reactions. He has no awareness, but everything is and the that- manifestation. And that dude is the lady who jumped off Jacob's ladder about the cigarettes. Mm-hmm. Just fell in ascension. And now you're in, yeah. a, in a deeper hole and you can fall again. Mm-hmm. And you're in a deeper hole and you can fall again. And yeah. But once you see like the whole system like that, more where you have like that. Yeah. Less about where that spaces. lady. Yeah. And because we can relate. We can see her struggle. My God, it's just cigarettes. I did that too. But the, nothing but compassionate relating to her. The face too. Wow, this is crazy. The face too is more like, <clears throat> um, you know, like if you're going to witness like a bar fight and the first thing that probably the weaker person does is you get this really angry face and like try to intimidate the other person or in boxing, they even do it too. And the one who's ever the biggest, uh, loudest intimidator always gets his ass beat usually within the first couple of minutes, but it's the same yeah. thing for a demon when they've manifested to that dissension level, it's almost a defense mechanism to have this angry, crazy face. Like, nah, you're not going to get, you know what I mean? Like they've manifested that crazy, nasty face. In another it's dimension. It's their conditioning. In another Yeah. But we do it here, like people do it here to the level that they can do it. But in their, in other dimensions, like you're manifesting, like, I want to be the ugliest, most intimidating dude. So never, no one's going to bother me. I'm going to be able to feed off people. I'm going to be the biggest, yeah. baddest demon. No one's going to be able to mess with me. Although he's being eaten by everyone who's ascended and he can have power over like one or two people that fall in his lap that are going to be yeah. terrified by his face. Oh, yeah. supper time. Are you kidding? Yeah. It's, it's, it's crazy because that's another, what we're doing is really another form of unlearning and culture and, and all this stuff. You've said it before when you watch movies or just the slightest degree of, how our minds have been trained and manipulated to see things. And here in this culture, you're supposed to look at a demon and be scared and not understand it. Right. Right. That's what you're supposed to do. Right. And again, that's what I was talking about with like the other cultures. And sometimes I think, you know, how far ahead they are. Way far. 
Yeah. And um, you really get insights into that. But I mean, it's so funny because you can see it like in that movie, like this demon in the dungeon, like this demon has created like this comfortable existence. Like it's not it's it's not even really like what you would think of like doing demon things. It's like you ain't using a sewing machine and playing records. It's. It's conditioned itself just to comfortable. And now, and, and it's developed, just like you said, this system that's very streamlined and specific and works for him. It's, re- it's really interesting, like the, the new view of like what's scary and, and what we're supposed to react to. Picture popped in my and head that- of the movie. I don't know if I'm going to be a, maybe I can look. Um, but he did the same thing in that movie. I mean, they all do a pretty good job. I mean, the the movies can't help but tell the story that it's actually the reaction that causes the, that causes all the turmoil. Right. Again and again, you can watch these movies and then they do a good job of showing that. Yeah, I'm not going to be able to think of the name of that movie, but he put he put someone in a room and he turned into a beast at the end of the movie. He said, Etcetera. What was the name? That's. That's the beast. That's the unbreakable. But the one that came out after the unbreakable, they're the newer one. Yeah. I can't think of that name. Yeah. The one that had the multiple personalities. Yes. yes the multiple and then personalities. the last one, I think it's called the beast, but I could be wrong. Um, yeah. But well, yeah, the name doesn't matter, but the whole concept popped in my head when he just, the way he held people captive and he just yeah. lived off of their fear. Really? Yeah. And uh Yeah, that was that was a good example of, of that as well. Just when you Yeah, cause Well he was he had multiple personalities which I mean they did such a great job. I mean, man, I'm gonna have to go back and watch that movie for sure. I'm looking but, up the title. I'm, it's in the Unbreakable series. M. Night Shyamalan would have done it. Um, but with the multiple personalities, it does such a good job of demonstrating the many eyes. Split. The Legion. And... Split. Split. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Does such a good job of demonstrating the many eyes. And then there's this like supernatural element to it where he's always has this like ultimate beast mode that he can go into. But all you have to do is imagine like how to the degree his third eye must be manifesting. Like he could just be sitting there, but he is climbing the walls. He is climbing the walls as a beast as he, he would be able to manifest to that degree because he is in the human form with the third eye using it to the manifestation of feeding off the reactions. I mean, all of that would be attainable the way they tell that story. 
very very interesting movie but yeah it explains a lot of what we're talking about and so what you would have then at the end of him you would have a descension into more animal form but he could have expressed like lots of human capability and that might be like the break where the fall would be more towards the demonic rather than falling down the line to more like animalistic of form. Like for example, like the way we were talking about, and I'm way off in speculation land right now, but the way we were talking about the good deeds and the person that doesn't know it and they live out their entire life. And maybe their dissension isn't all that hard but it would be like within the same line. And let's say like, I don't think they descend to that level, but they could descend back and form like as a plant or something, just something to like be here, be still be now learn that what you thought was correct, wasn't correct. Right. But then you take something like the beast, something that's like willfully manifesting to that degree Mm -hmm. and his ascension path might not be a form his dissension path could go more in the spiritual realm and that would be more to the demonic more to the hell realm and it also makes sense too like the whole satan thing or a leader you know the queen makes a lot of sense that something would have manifested as the leader and the queen of the lowest consciousness level that feeds off of people's reaction because it has to have some form of, you know, leader. And I, I think that who, who am I consciousness is like more of, uh, I wouldn't say there's a leader. There's who am I as far as consciousness and being awake to consciousness and one truth and, you know, everything around you being omnificent, but in that lowest frequency of consciousness, there, there has to be that master of all masters. You know, it has to be, um, that way and it branch off makes a lot of sense when you tie all that in together. It does. Yeah, I totally agree. Cause I mean, you can take Eckhart Tolle, Osho, um, any anybody that's speaking truth and they're pointing to multiple sources of truth they're not pointing to one leader versus if you go the other way and you and you look at like um you know the extreme examples of you know people within the satanic temple and stuff i mean they're all pointing to one thing <laughs> they're all pointing to one dude yeah, I mean, the yes, they are pointing to the leader. There's all, I mean, the cult, uh, all, they're here now. They're manifested now. I mean, I, I don't want to say the name of that particular religion, so we'll move on. I don't want to talk it on my back, but maybe we can get into it in the future. But I think consciousness... Um, um, it is one leader, 
like consciousness is one leader. It is one truth. Like people are able to share it with all their different perspectives, but it's omnificent. It's in all things. Like it's no there, but, but to say that there's a leader of this, like a cult is, 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 is not even close to the truth. But it's something that, you know, I can access, you can ask, access, any, anyone on the planet can ascend to a level of consciousness that puts everyone on the same page. But there is no direct, like, influencer. It's just the built-in who am I in the, in the path of ascending that consciousness. Based on the conversation we've had this morning. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's that was perfect. Yeah, and I mean, all the things that we see with, you know, people describing like what the ascension to the divine looks like. Yeah, it's just it's just levels of greater and greater consciousness. It's just like high fives along the way. Like, yeah, we've been here the whole time. High five. Good job. Let us know if you find anybody above. <laughs> right. And when it seems I, like when I got the the golden sword in that astral dream that I had. The whole time I was aware and I was like, well, am I going to see a face in that? That's why that commercial to at the end, like do you remember the commercial I sent? That was my dream in a nutshell. I, yeah. I'm reading the book preparing for, Jason, my own prison, prison. It's like it's like seven o'clock in the morning. I'm not watching TV, but I have it on like maybe five. There's a little murmur or whatever. I'm reading the book. I pull my head up right when it starts, and that commercial starts, and then I I see at the end when the guy made the face at the castle up in the sky. That was the same face that I made. When I looked up in the commercial, I was like, I'm like what the hell? What are you, you're going to show my same face that I made on the yellow brick road, make a right turn on the red? Like, what is going on here? My whole point is, like, I was aware, like, was I going to see a face? Like, I don't know if you ever see a face. It was just arms that had me a golden sword. I don't even know if that's the whole point, like, to see a face in the end. Like you, we are the face. Yeah. We are the face. It's omnificent. But as I'm aware, I'm walking up and like, oh, this could be awesome. I mean, I could see some perfect face that I've never seen before. What is this going to be? Like the face of God or whatever. And that wasn't the point. The point was I got a golden sword now, bitch. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go. That's the point. <laughs> Yeah, that's why I like Osho's like cosmic orgasm story so much is I mean when you say it like the face, it just reminds you that you just find yourself in the same consciousness that always was. Like that you just it's easy to get lose that concept, but to like look for something else as like another consciousness or another face. And if you're looking out, you're just looking in the wrong direction. 
because it all ends up being the same thing that's in here and it's just the same consciousness right it's um yeah it's it's a hard concept to hold on to all the time because you're right you find yourself at times like looking as if it's going to be somewhere um the astral in terms of consciousness and ascension is whatever you want it to be yeah like it's no particular it's about infinity it's about dimensions it's about discovering it's about adventure it's about no limitations yeah it's about having fun and and going on adventures i know we haven't yeah i it think much it gets kind of outlandish for maybe the program but it it is it is what we want it to be there's like a as above so below quality to even that i think like the if you take your personal dream realm and the lucidity that's available there in terms of rearranging anything however you see fit then you just take one more step and you say oh the universe also has its own dream realm that since the beginning of dreamless sleep has also served as its own tabula rasa for dreaming. So then the cosmic orgasm, then the who am I? Now it has its own dream realm, but that dream realm then is connected to my dream realm. So you have, it's like two things. You have, you have, the ability for it to be at anything you want it to be. But then as you gain awareness, you also start to learn that it's a shared system amongst all consciousness. And the only reason that you can't see that is because that's how slow you're going in your growth of consciousness. And then you have somebody like Buddha who comes along and says, oh, I went all the way back to the beginning when the universe was sleeping and wasn't even dreaming. That's what makes his assertion so powerful. It's like he rode that system all the way through the ascension level, all the way back to where the universe is snoring to the level and not even dreaming. It's like, I mean, in terms of like setting a road in front of you, <laughs> like what consciousness has achieved. Yeah, it gives it gives me the the feeling of like, let's get busy. Let's go. Who am I? Yeah. Yeah, it's good. You good? 